throw my own surprise birthday party? Not a very surprising or exciting party. Same with God. Uh, Do things in my own grace? Not so exciting as when God does it. And again, welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. You know, when God sets his mind to blessing us and designing our lives, oftentimes we bristle. We think we know best, but then again, it's like throwing our own surprise birthday party, isn't it? Not so fun. But God, in his infinite wisdom, understands and knows what our lives need and what brings about pure pleasure for us and glory to him. And it's all in grace. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with more. Saving faith rests in the strength of the object. It just relies on what God says he can do, not on what I can do. You want to see this illustrated? Genesis, an old man in his 90s. He just delivers his nephew Lot. He's hiding in a Bedouin tent, afraid of reprisals. And he's there with an aging woman post-menopause. This woman can't have any children. She's barren, been barren all their marriage. And he just starts scratching his head, says, I'm kind of afraid I might get killed, Lord. And by the way, when you call me down there in Ur, You said you were going to make a great nation out of me, and we haven't changed one diaper around this tent. How do you plan to do that? God said, well, you ought to just go out and look at the the heavens. Okay, I can do that. Not much to do out in the desert, you know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, four. And when he got up to about three million, I, yeah, God says, count them. How many did you count? Aha, I lost count. He said, that's going to be your offspring. What? That's the nation I'm talking about. I'm going to make you and Sarah the father of people. You'll think it's the stars of the heaven. There's going to be so many. And I think Abraham thinking, you're going to have to do it. Because this old sister and I ain't going to do it. Ain't going to be any babies, right? But you know what he said? In Hebrew, he said, I believe it. Amen. It's on you. You said you can do it. I believe you. It's on you. Listen to what Newell says. There was no honor or merit in Abraham's believing the faithful God who cannot lie. The honor was God's. When Abraham believed God, he did the one thing a man can do without doing anything. There was no effort here. Abraham's faith was not an act, but an attitude. His heart turned away from himself and this barren wife of his to God and his promise. Faith was neither a meritorious act by Abraham, nor a change of character or nature in Abraham. He simply believed God would accomplish what he had promised. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And he says, I believe you. You said you can do it, do it. And salvation is that way. God said, I have borne your sins. 
I have crucified my son. I have raised him from the dead and I'm gracious. I've sent preachers for you to hear the gospel. And when you hear and whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever puts faith in Christ, I'll save. It will be on me to keep my promise. You just got to believe me. Believe me. And faith is the empty hand that says, if you promised, I believe you'll accomplish it. And so I believed his promise as you did. And did he not save us? Did he not begin the work in us? Did he not begin to change us, mold us, lead us, guide us, change our disposition, our vocabulary, our attitudes? Yes, I believe and I've got what I believe, a salvation that changes your life. Thirdly, God's salvation is his gift of grace. And faith. And you notice the little acrostic for faith, forsaking all, I take him. It's another way to say it. God's salvation is his gift of grace and faith. Uh, actually, but it says, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. He's talking about the grace and the faith were both gifts of God. The whole component. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is, what is? The grace and the faith. Did you know God had to enable you to believe? God had to rent the veil so you could see the wonderful person of Christ. He had to rent the veil that we might get the gospel. You know, we were praying today for this service. You know how I pray on Sundays anymore? Uh, I, I don't pray as much for me is that you'll get it, that you'll understand it. Because you don't have to ask God to bless this book. It's already blessed. It's do we get it? And I heard the gospel for years and I didn't get it. I could tell you what it was. I could tell you facts about it, but I didn't get it for me that I saw how wonderful Christ was until God gave that gift to enable me as a corpse to have the faith to believe. That was a gift from God. How can dead men believe? It's a gift from God. It's what he says. Notice that, in, look at Philippians. We're right next door to Philippians. Look at that, 129. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Isn't that quite a verse? And look at Acts. It just hits me. I think I can find it. Uh, bear with me while I get through the book of Acts. 13, um, yes, look at uh, 1348. It just came to my mind. When the Gentiles heard this, this plan of salvation, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. God enabled those he appointed to believe. John 10, my sheep will hear my voice. You know how I know in a crowd who the sheep are? When you start preaching God's word, the sheep will respond and come to him for salvation. The non-sheep won't. They come, they hear, they follow. It's the work of God. So the gift of salvation is totally God's work. Fourth thing about salvation, it's not based on human works. It's not based on human works. And he adds that clarifying note there, not of works. Not of works. Well, what would, it, what would happen if it was of human works? We would brag for all eternity. 
how smart and clever we were. But salvation is God's work from beginning to end, and he won't let you and I take the credit. There will be no human bragging in heaven. If you're pride, if you're so in love with yourself and pride, you'll feel out of place in heaven. Hell will be made for the proud. Heaven is where everybody's impressed with Christ and not themselves. You got to come through the door. It's too high, you can't go over it. It's too deep, you can't go under it. And it's too wide, you can't get around it. You got to go through the door. There is no bragging. I hear him say of Abraham in chapter 4 of Romans. Listen to what he says. Now wages are not paid to a man out of grace, but out of works. But God who justifies the ungodly does not justify them out of works, but out of grace. God makes you right before him without any law works or any human works because human works would mess up the grace of God. It's not of works. Uh, it's not based on law keeping. He wrote the whole book of Galatians to tell us that. Sometimes he's going to tell us works will follow our salvation as does fruit follow a fruit tree. After it blossoms, there'll be the fruit. But up front, you must be clear. You cannot come to God and be saved on the basis of works. It's not Christ plus your good church attendance. It's not Christ plus you're a nice guy. That, that won't do it. This country is full of nice people, especially in the Bible Belt, that are lost in religion, but they're the nicest people. You want them to be your neighbor. But they're not going to heaven necessarily. Because see, nice becomes the enemy of the grace of God because we're so impressed with ourselves, we can never be impressed with God. We're so nice. And that means so many times we've got to sin greatly to ever give God a chance to show us what his grace is all about. The majority of people that get saved, you would have never saved. They're not strong enough. They're not nice enough. They're not good enough. But God is called the weak, the not mighty, the things that were not the things that were despised, the non-noble things that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why he chose you. Only God could make anything out of you and I that the world would really believe was credible. Now, some of you are more prone. You would have made it a lot better because you're a lot nicer than some of us. But some of us, had we not met Jesus, who knows if we'd even be alive today. Any of you that way? I think of John Newton. I'm reading his autobiography. John Newton, uh, not talking about Isaac Newton, gravity. We're talking about John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton was a sea captain. He grew up, of course, in England, 1600s. Uh, sea captain. I got into the slave trade to the West Indies, Africa. Uh, was a vile drinking man, a wicked man. God dealt with him in this autobiography. It tells you all the, the remorse and the guilt and the shame and the sin of his life. So by the time he wrote Amazing Grace, they've now in the newer editions have changed it to what a sinner was I. He put in what a wretch was I. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Have you ever told God you're a wretch? You ought to catch up with God. He thinks that about you. You are. He knows you through and through. Don't say that takes away your humanity. God's all acquainted with your humanity. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage to sin? I love to see conversions that I read about in John Newton, conviction, weeping, brokenness. You say, I'm not the emotional kind. You don't have to be. You can be saved without that. You just got to believe. You're not saved by emotion. You're not saved by, you cried a lot, you got saved. But to see people who have the senses, I'm condemned before God. I'm an object of wrath. I'm not coming to God to do him a favor. I'm coming to God because I need a pardon. I'm coming to God not to be religious, but to be saved. I'm coming to God because I'm lost. I've been convinced I'm guilty as charged by the court of heaven. I need a lawyer or I need a substitute. And Christ is the only one that can take your case and win. The last one of us kids to be saved was my brother, David. He's in Barrett Central Assembly Church on Barrett Street, downtown Richmond. Going through a divorce, going through pain, about to lose his kids, hanging out in bars, crying with other firemen who were losing their woman, sorrows rolling over him. But he was the boy that kept running from the faith, couldn't get into church, couldn't believe this stuff yet. He was the last one. All of his others had been saved at young ages. But he was out there, into gambling, into the ball games, into the bar scene, in with the in crowd. Always could have a chick. Always could be there. But miserable, miserable. Eyes had become puffy from staying in bars so late. And they used to have men's ham dinners on Monday nights down there at that church. And they'd bring in someone to give their testimony. And my dad and my brother Paul talked him into going with them one night. And I went with them. And a man by the name of Monroe Stevens gave his testimony how God saved him. He gave an invitation. My brother went forward. Two and a half hours later, my dad, who weighed 220, six-foot farm boy, and my brother Paul picked my brother up. He lost all of his strength for he'd wept so long and so hard. He never thought there was a more ungodly man in Richmond that night than him. William R. Newell tells the story of doing a daily Bible study in a theater in St. Louis, Missouri. He taught for six weeks the book of Romans. What else? He got a great little book on the book of Romans. He tells how he taught there. And one day a man asked to have an appointment with him. And he met with this man who was there every day at the Bible study. And he happened to be a river captain there. And he began to talk to Newell. He says, I don't know how I could be saved. You see, I am the worst man in town. I'm the worst. Everybody knows me in St. Louis. I have done everything. I own two boats for the river. And we have done everything. I am the most wicked man in St. Louis. And William R. Newell, he said to him, well, thank God. The man says, 
What? You mean you're glad that I'm bad? He said, no, but I'm certainly glad to find a sinner that knows he is a sinner. Oh, you do not know the half. I've absolutely been ungodly for years and years and years right here in St. Louis. I own two Mississippi steamers. Everybody knows me. I am the most ungodly man in town. Newell says he could hardly get him to quiet down. And he said, did you hear me preach Romans 4, 5 today? Now to him who justifies the ungodly through no works of their own, but who simply believe. He said, well, I've been coming to these noon meetings for six weeks. I have not missed a meeting, but I cannot tell you a word of what you've said. I did not sleep last night. I hardly have slept for three weeks. For I am the most ungodly wretch in all St. Louis. Is there anything I can do? Newell turned to Romans 4, 5 again. And the man says, but how can this be for me? I am the most ungodly man. I wait a minute, Newell says. I beg you to go on reading. So he read, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. To him that worketh not, to him that worketh not, but believeth him who can declare the ungodly righteous. Did you get it? He said, well, that's me. I'm ungodly. It's, yes, the verse is about you, Newell said, but you're missing it. Please tell me what to do, Mr. Newell. I'm ungodly. Read the verse again. To him that worketh not, and I stopped him. There I said, the verse says not to do, and you want me to tell you something to do. But there must be something to do. If not, I'll be lost forever. Now listen with all your soul. There was something to be done, and it was done. Christ paid for your sins. Then I told him how God loved him. I told him how God raised Christ from the dead. I told him how that the most ungodly man in St. Louis could be saved if he would believe. He took Christ as his savior. The next day he came before the meeting and he asked Dr. Newell, could I tell the audience what happened? He got up and he said, I wanna tell you of all the great propositions I've ever found as a businessman, this is the greatest proposition I've ever been given. I found a faith that could save an unsaved, ungodly man. I could not sleep a wink all night, but I found out that God, for Jesus Christ's sake, declares righteous any ungodly man that will believe, and I believe. It's not of works. Ask Martin Luther. Doing penance, sleeping on a wooden board as a Augustinian monk, but did not know how he could be right before God. And one day while crawling up the steps on a church, Galatians and Romans rolled through his soul. How can a man be right with God? And all of a sudden it thundered from heaven. The just shall live by faith and faith alone. Works will not get you to heaven. Belonging to this church won't get you to heaven. Hanging out around here won't get you to heaven. Faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, is what saves once for all. That's what saves. 
Augustine Toplady wrote the words we used to sing. Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hand to thee I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Rock of ages, hide thou me. Well, when you come this route, he says it will exclude human boasting. All the bragging will cease to be on ourselves. And that's hard on you if you're an unsaved religionist today because you're the Pharisee that likes to go to church and say, I thank God I'm not like these bunch of hippies and druggies. We first started this church. I remember coming home. Everybody came. In those days, they did not dress half as nice as you do. I mean, it was long hair. and Who knew what they were going to wear? And, uh, uh, and I mean, the styles were out. Girls were in micro. I saw more thighs than a preacher should have ever seen. <laughs> All these micro minis on the front row, hickeys on the neck, earrings, uh, homosexuals bringing their purses. And, and, you, and you looked out at that audience and said, this is a church? And I was driving home one night with Carolyn after a Bible study, and she just said, are any of those people saved? <laughs> Man, they don't look like us, as though we were the epitome of all saved. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wore suits even in the 60s. I, I came to church dressed for church, you know. I had a tie on. I was going up in the rapture quicker. And had all this, and, and I said to her, I said, could the grace of God be in that young gal that no one ever taught her how to dress, who's been sleeping with boys since she was 12? Do you think the grace of God could be living in her? Not to him that worketh, not to him that looks like a white Anglo-Christian, not to him that looks like he grew up on money and all these church standards. Could God be working in that ungodly girl whose mother raised seven children? Her dad died and her mother hadn't been moral since that girl been home. And now she met Jesus and she's got to learn morals. She's got to learn how to dress. She's got to learn family. Could God be working in this girl? The hardest crowd to get along with is everybody that knows what church is all about. Give me a first generation newborn believer. They don't know any of the jargon, any of the cliches. They just say, Jesus has saved me and I'm looking for him to come again. Oh, that was fun to train them. They didn't even know how to spell tithe. <laughs> Ushers, what's that? They fainted that we sat on chairs. God did change them. And all the boasting wasn't in them. They said, God saved the worst when he saved us. No boasting. That's why we sing just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. God's Design for Life. That is the title of the series that today's broadcast has been taken from, and you're listening 
to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we close out our time together today, we would like to invite you to join us for a marvelous celebration. You know, for almost 20 years now, next year will be 20 years, Truth For Today has been airing on this radio station. As our way of saying thank you for being a part of that ministry, we're inviting you to save the date and then join us. June 4th, that's a Saturday, 4.30 till 7.30 in the afternoon. Here at Valley Bible Church at the Family Life Center, we have a celebration of God's goodness to the Truth For Today radio ministry. Again, our way of saying thank you for being a part of this ministry. It is our hope and prayer that you are growing in grace, that you find these broadcasts encouraging and helpful to you. If you've got testimonies and um, just stories of how the broadcast has encouraged and helped you in your relationship with Christ, we'd love for you to join us as we celebrate together God's amazing goodness towards us as we have continued this ministry here on this radio station. So save the date. Again, June 4th, 4.30 to 7.30 at Valley Bible Church. For information and details, simply give us a call at 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website for further information, truthfortodayradio.org. And again, that phone number is 855-833-9864. It's a celebration I know you'll be blessed by. So make it a point to join us again June 4th, 430 to 730 at Valley Bible Church. Again, call for details, 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 